What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Howdy, folks. Happy Monday. Uh, we are here. We have Pete Tessier with us back from a long vacation. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, have to say it's it's truly, even though winter isn't uh, till what is it, December twentieth? I think that's the official start of winter. Uh, we're uh, we're getting we're getting it here, Russ. We have winter storm warning in Western New York. Mike, I just was on my bike. It's sixty four degrees and sunny here. Nobody cares. Wow. <laughs> no, nobody. You're on, you're on your roof, and Kaya's looking up at you, saying, Give yeah, me yeah, "Like, come on, boys." Yeah, and me, I'm freezing my ass off here in, in, in Buffalo. And anyway, I'm sorry. All right. All right, let's start with the pre-show. Go ahead, Russ. So pre-show, uh, Jets played the Giants yesterday. You know, they only play each other once every four years. It was interesting because, you know, they had this thing called the Snoopy. It's the Snoopy Bowl, and they have a trophy. And uh, apparently, because the Giants are used to winning this every year. I can't remember the last time the Jets have won it, to be honest. And this year, the, when the Jets won, the Giants' ownership ran out of the stadium mad. It was funny because the way that they started was like there's this entitlement with Giants' ownership over the Jets and and for their media too, mm-hmm. because the Giants own the city, right? So initially, we started to hear, "Oh, poor Daniel Jones, he has to go in a different entrance, he has to cross the street, he has to." You know, and because he's not the home team, but it's his home stadium. And, you know, and I and I couldn't tell you how many media people complained yesterday because it's a Jets home game at, at that stadium because they share it. I'm just laughing because the whole thing's funny. Both teams stink. But at the end of the day, when the Giants stink, they really things really start to, to happen. And right now with their ownership, they're mad. And so that made me happy. I'm not upset with the fans. Like I said, I get it. Giants fans. I, I would be mad too. I'm not happy that the jets are two and seven either, but I just think it's funny that the entitlement that goes on with the giants media and with their ownership, I just laugh at that. Yeah. Well, the Mar- the Maras do have one advantage over the jets ownership. They, their family did produce Rooney Mara and Kate Mara. So they, they're, they're thumbs up in my book. Um, yeah. Just to touch on, yeah, you know, the Bills could be the worst six and two team now six and three. I think the Colts and the Bills—they're like they're both bad teams that yeah, have the Colts. The Colts are the third quarterback right now. I mean that—that's an excuse for them. Brian—they lost with Brian Hoyer. It was a to, it was to Miami, but they lost with Brian Hoyer quarterback. The Bills don't have any excuse. They allowed that clown car of the Cleveland Browns to beat them. And by the way, I have to say the biggest punk in the NFL 
is Landry, the wide receiver for Cleveland. Oh, they, yeah, Jarvis Landry, yeah. He's a, he's a cheap shot artist, a trash talker, and he almost cost them a game because on the first drive he scores a touchdown, he gets in the face of one of the Bills' defensive backs, he gets called for a 15-yard penalty, they take it on the extra point, the kicker misses the extra point, and that could have been a difference in the game. The Bills were leading by four, but of course the Bills' defense allows Baker Mayfield to walk down the field. Uh, get a touchdown, and then they they choke it at the end. Miss. By the way, I, I have to mention something about Baker Mayfield yeah. that was noticeable in this house when he was wooing on the sideline. For first thing is he kind of looked like Burt Reynolds from Hooper. That's one thing. the The second thing was he's not much better shape than Burt Reynolds. Like his belly was coming out of his shirt. Like this is a twenty something year old kid. Like how much beer is he drinking? I can't believe you dropped a Hooper reference for us. That's yeah. one of my favorite Burt Reynolds movies of the late seventies. No, but did you notice like he's not in great shape? Eh, hey, you know, lots, lots of, lots of good food in Cleveland, right? Well, they're three. And, what are they? Three and six. Three and six. Yes. And this is a team that in the, in the off season we were hearing, well, they could be a Super Bowl team. Well, they got OBJ. They're going to be great. Well. Maybe OBJ isn't great for a team. We'll see. Well, I and just just to touch on this quickly, I watched after the Bills' defeat. I watched the second half of the MLS Cup between Toronto and. You watched it. You I watched didn't watch the Toronto team I, lose. I, I'm not a fan of that team, though. Oh, okay. So it doesn't matter. Um, but. <laughs> he's like he's throwing a dig when it's not even a dig. I'm not a. It's I'm not, I'm not wearing red. Yeah, why are you stopping? Just continue if it doesn't bother you. It doesn't. Okay. <laughs> what you said bothered me. Not, not anyway. No. So no. You know this. This is the thing about soccer that it, part of me loves it. Part of me it drives me crazy. A game can be turned on. What ended up being turned tur in last night's game, the own goal that went off uh, mm -hmm. one of the Toronto defenders, and in and in soccer, it's like it's not like hockey where you know you have a chance to to get back in the game. Once they were down one nothing, they were pretty much done, Peter. You know, I mean, it was there was no. Well, that's not true. It's just it's not true at all. They controlled the play up until that point. Well, they controlled the, play the, the first half. The goal. Yeah, they control the is the lower event thing than hockey, right? right. So you 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 have to find a way to create more events to give you an opportunity to score. It's just a little harder in soccer, right? Because it's harder to get the ball from one end to the other than it is in hockey to get the puck up the ice, right? Yeah. Like that's just the difference. But there's a way to get it back. I mean, you know, it's look at the end of the day. You know, what was weird about that whole thing was. I watched the post game and there's a little saltiness coming out of the Toronto dressing room. And that was a little weird. Like, I'm not sure what Altidore was complaining about. I'm not sure what the other gentleman was. I can't recall his name. Um, and you know, it just seemed a little odd. Like, yeah, I get you just want you lost, but they seemed kind of salty about how it went down and, and such and that was kind of weird and 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 it was sort of an outward saltiness maybe i'm reading it wrong yeah no i mean, i think they had the thought that they were the team of destiny because they've won three games yeah. to to get to the mls final and i i get mm -hmm. that and they, and, and they want and they want to team over hyping its worth and in position in history <laughs> <laughs> well it's not them that's doing it but anyway. yeah. no, they never do it, Mike. They just plan a parade route and leave it. No, that, that tired, that tired bull crap. I'm just so sick of that. No, they never did that, right? That never happened. No, no. 
No, the Raptors, the Raptors use their uh, their parade route. So there you go. Uh, <laughs> hockey world. Today is Monday, November eleventh, twenty nineteen. I'm Peter Tessier in far from balmy Winnipeg, and hoping uh, everyone takes a moment to uh, think about Remembrance Day and our veterans and the people who have served and the uh, and the casualties that have come at the cost of war. So please do. Yeah. I agree. My my dad's a veteran, but I have to say, I think I have some color in my cheeks. I'm Russ Cohen. <laughs> and I'm Michael Agello, and I echo those sentiments that Peter just mentioned. It is Veterans Day and Remembrance Day in Canada, and we have to remember the sacrifices made by veterans, male and female, uh, Caucasian and non-Caucasian of all races uh, for, uh, for our freedoms. And this is the Hockey Buzzcast here on HockeyBuzz.com. And in that vein, we have to – we'd be remiss if we didn't start with uh, the uh, the controversy that's ongoing. We won't spend a ton of time because a lot of commentary has already been made about it, but I think we have to touch on it. Don Cherry, who never shied away from controversy, and, um, you know, he has his beliefs. Um, and on Coach's Corner on Saturday, he basically came out and said that – uh, you know, that he, in his, where he lives, Mississauga in suburban Toronto and in Toronto, he doesn't see uh, newer Canadians wearing the poppy, which is in uh, remembrance, it was it, it for Remembrance Day, uh, and sort of cast aspersion, uh, cast aspersions on, on immigrants rather than, quote, good Canadians. And I mean, this is the thing. Uh, you can believe what Don believes. You can believe what you believe. I don't think that that should be aired out on Hockey Night in Canada. It really shouldn't. And one of the things that, you know, when Don sticks to hockey, uh, you know, I still find some of his commentary interesting, even though, you know, he's of a previous generation and they don't play the type of game that he wants to play or likes them to play anymore. But when he gets into the political realm, Peter, I'll start with you first. When he gets into the political realm, it's just really unfortunate and unnecessary. And you know, I, I – I don't think he's long for uh, Hockey Night in Canada. Obviously, he's 85 years old. I questioned whether the cutbacks that they had at Sportsnet, whether he was going to be there this year, and there was some question over the summer. I think this latest controversy, controversy, you're not. he's done after this year. I would be shocked if he isn't. This whole issue is either incredibly complicated in your view or it's very black and white, and I think that's the problem here, what we've seen from social media. I thought Ron McLean offered up a little bit of a a reasonably heartfelt apology last night on hometown hockey. Sure, I think he he handled it probably in a very typical Ron McLean way. I think what the problem is is that it's not that Don Cherry says these things; it's that Sportsnet and to a lesser extent the CBC have been tone deaf to the movement of change that's come to accepting this, of putting it off as people no longer want to say, well, it's just an old guy who, uh, who has these opinions and he doesn't really matter. And he's really just trying to do the right thing and blah, blah, blah. The problem is, is that we have enough support through technology and other avenues of communication that can use those comments and that they are in the form and they all and they get twisted around and the debates that have happened 
underneath the, the social media posts, either from Sportsnet or from Ron McLean, and talking about sharing what he said and and, compl and, and complacentness by, by McLean giving the thumbs up. I don't think Ron McLean was trying to give a thumbs up to the idea that immigrants should wear poppies. I think he was giving a, a thumbs up to the idea that we got to think about like the whole message. It wasn't just, that was one segment of it all. Right. I'm not defending Don Cherry. I'm not really defending Ron McLean either, but we twist these things around so much. And I think Don Cherry's past is best before date. That's for sure. But he's a, he's a legacy thing to something that Canadians want to hold on to. And executives have excused the stuff because they feel the value of his attachment to the past of Hockey Night in Canada, the history of it all, as it became a media force and a brand value that was maybe second to none in Canada. It, that's where the problem lies. And it, it, it's complicated. He shouldn't have said that. And no one should. And in that moment, Ron McLean should have called him out. People have been waiting for this and demanding this for a while, and it hasn't happened. I think that's where everything's complicated now because was he really going to just stop with his co-host and have an argument about whether he was right or wrong? Then? Is that a reasonable yeah. expectation yeah. in that moment? Yeah. Handles this after is what's the proof in the pudding, but having it out on air at that moment, it was never going to happen. Your expectations are unreal. No, you know what? I'll, I'll tell you a couple things. So the buzzword for you people that started with like all in the family. When Norman Lear wrote that show, yeah. he, he created Archie Bunker because a lot of Americans acted that way and he wanted yeah. people to see it on television. Exactly. So, so I saw that from very early on. Now, if you're a, a white Canadian, you didn't think twice about it. You were like, get over it. I even had some people say, get over it to me on, on social media. And it's like, well, as a Jewish person, you can't get yeah. over it. You can't. Because my great grandmother did it, emigrate here from Russia. And we are still a minority. Whether you have a different view of Jewish people or not, that is a reality. Yeah. So Ron McLean is a host of a show. He doesn't have to go along with what his co-host says. Right. He could have tried to steer the ship differently, and he didn't. And I was disappointed in him for not doing it. And I think when you saw him yesterday, he was very disappointed in himself. Right. I saw yeah. that. The big elephant in the room here is Sportsnet, the NHL. Nobody is demanding Don Cherry say anything. And Don no. Cherry hasn't said anything, and well, that's wrong. Yeah, yes, he has. He Joe, uh, Joe Warmington of the Toronto Sun, he came, he came out. Um, and, Great. That's who he chooses to come out to. Well, yeah, and uh, no. now I don't know if this was in a phone conversation or if it was by email or by direct message. But um, Cherry on his comment said it seems to have upset people. Like I said, uh, you can put it, uh, you can put in that I said my piece, and I will leave it there. He just wanted to focus things back on Remembrance Day. No, that's not an apology. It's not an apology. He's a, no. he's unapologetic. Basically, he's unapologetic here. And the thing I the thing I have a problem with, and you know, Ron McLean, like you said, Russ, you know, he, I think he apologized for uh, as as best he could. But if Don Cherry would have brought up something about officiating or about other things that McLean McLean in the past has felt strongly about, he's interrupted Cherry. In, the in this instance, what he did was. Don was being Don. He was going down the road, and 
he just let it go. And I'm assuming they didn't realize it was going to be the firestorm that it is. And I, I said this before the season. I think I even said it on the, on the, on the show. I was surprised that Don Cherry, there was a lot of talk about Don Cherry being part of the exodus at Sportsnet during the summer. He said he was going to be back. Uh, he ended up being back, but I don't think I think this is I don't think they're going to fire him. I think they'll they'll let they'll let him finish out the year. I don't think he'll be back. I think you'll probably see either Brian Burke or something else done in the in the first intermission, and Coach's Corner will go the way of the Dodo Bird. But I think that the, that Sportsnet and CBC at a certain point they get tired of having to field the, you know, the to deal with this crap every well, time there's something politically incorrect. A lot of good Canadians pointed out online. What if you bought a poppy and it fell off? What if and and how does what if it's Don, on one not on, not on the other? How does Don know I whether you're an green. immigrant or not unless you're of a different color? That's the mm -hmm. code there. And that's the big problem with all of this. And that's where Don needed to come. And, and look, he also was part of an article in the Toronto Star basically pushing that same rhetoric before he did Hockey Night in Canada. It's right. in an article. Yeah. yeah. And and I, I, I saw the Russian 5 documentary uh, a couple days ago, it was on NBCSN, mm -hmm. and they had a snippet of, of Don talking about the Russians when they were coming to town. He said, the Canadians don't want the Russians. We I don't want the Russians. Right. You know, he's been sort of xenophobic in that way about Americans, about Americans playing hockey, about Russians, about Europeans. I mean, that's... Uh -huh. Hang on. I mean, he's changed changed more recently, but that's I mean, that's basically his shtick. That's what he is. It's what he is. Um, you know, but his thing about Americans is different. His wife was American, right? And when Brett Hall went and played for the U USA back in the nineties and said Canada, he defended him vehemently um, around that and telling Katie, you know, this you're lucky to be next to this country. They provide you freedoms and protections that your military will never afford. Blah, blah, blah. He used to go off on that stuff, but he's also insulted Europeans. He's insulted right. French. He's insulted the Quebecois. I don't and know. Who, you know what? I'll and tell you he's, what insulted the, he's insulted the LGBTQ community. He's made jokes of it and, and stuff. He does this. He says it's a lot. He's tone deaf. Yes, who he is. So when you accept someone who has within them, keep doing it. This is what people want now. They want the 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 network, the the producers to be better because they're demanding better everywhere else, and they want them to catch up. And if you hold on to someone who's not going to change, you're showing us that you're accepting it. They're missing the message here. Is what the problem is. I mean, the biggest thing is how many people who were Canadian of different ethnicities spoke out on Twitter a ton. Yeah. I, I, it's nuts. It's still nuts. Yeah. And, and this, and okay. Then this, then we'll end it after this mm -hmm. Sportsnet's statement after was Don's discriminatory comments are offensive and they do not represent our values and what we stand for as a network. We have spoken with Don about the severity of this issue and we sincerely apologize for these divisive remarks. Now Don didn't apologize. He won't probably probably won't apologize. And Sportsnet up to this point is not doing anything. So this is like a non-thing for them. It's right. next right. week we'll be on Coach's Corner and, he, right. and they won't even touch on this. Nope. So all right. Um let's talk, let's get off of this and talk about hockey. Um we have to unfortunately for <laughs> for most of you, we have to start with the center of the hockey universe in Toronto and the Maple Leafs, because that's where the news is. 
Um, a big injury on Saturday, uh, Mitch Marner. Um, Russ, I said right after I saw the video, it's a high ankle sprain because it looked mm -hmm. like it was a it was a Carson Terwinski off the face off. He stepped on his stick. It wasn't like a dirty play or anything like that. Yeah. He slipped, uh, torqued his uh, ankle uh, off the face off. Uh, tried to come back a couple times. Fell on a power play, so you knew something was wrong. Uh, he was he had an MRI yesterday. They say minimum of four weeks. We know it's not going to be four weeks. We, we know that uh, high ankle sprains are usually at least six, and sometimes the player comes back and they're not the same for the rest of the year. We saw that right. with Michael a few years ago. I mean, this is a big injury. Uh, it does allay the del or uh, the. Um, uh, decision that the Leafs have to make regarding uh, players sending players to the minors because uh, Zach Hyman's coming off the LTIR uh, probably on Wednesday and and um, Marner will go right on it. Um, but this is a this is a big loss for the Leafs because he, along with Matthews and Tavares, drives their offense. Here's you know what here's what I would do though. I understand this opens up more playing time for Jason Spezza, right? But at the end of the day, you're going to miss. Mitch Marner's offense. Jason Spezza can't replace that. You could bring up Jeremy Bracco. You could put him with Austin Matthews, and you may be able to replace 60% of that offense. And that's your best bet in replacing it. If you just give Jason Spezza more ice time and keep everything status quo, you're going to score fewer goals a game, and you're going to have to struggle and hope that the defense covers up even more ills because John Tavares can only do so much, and Austin Matthews can only do so much. You've well, got to have guys – they were playmakers, but you have to have guys who could finish too. Well, it was only a one-game window, but and we'll talk about that game in a minute. But Peter, um, when the Leafs got down uh, early against Chicago, what Babcock did was uh, he moved Alex Kerfoot up to the wing on the second line. He demoted Jason Spezza to the fourth line. He barely saw any ice time in the third period, and he moved Freddie Gauthier up to third line center, uh, which, I mean, this is the problem, Russ. I, I, I agree. I think the move would be to bring up uh, Bracco or Igor Korshkov or somebody like that to uh, you know, to help out, but I, I think that they're probably not going to do that because Bracco defensively still – uh, has some deficiencies. I, I don't know whether that or whether he'll ever get a fair shake in that organization. He should after finishing second. I mean, what do you want? Do you want no I, defensive deficiencies or you want offense? Because at the end of the day, well, you're going to struggle for offense. Well, we know Babcock will not separate Matthews and Nylander because now they're they're a hot combo. So right. you know, who who fits better with Tavares. I still think Bracco would because Tavares is a, a shooting center. But but Peter, I mean, talk about the the impact of Marner and the and uh his absence and what well, do you think that might mean for the Leafs? You know, this is sort of the the trickle down effect of having a lot of salary cap and a lot of players. And when you lose one of those players, you 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 gain salary, you gain you gain cap space, right? because of the LTIR, but it doesn't mean you just immediately have the ability to fill the void right. because that cap space exists. That cap space has a trickle-down effect that you maybe don't have all the players available. So when you lose someone like Marner, oh, people jump up and down. Well, we've got cap space to use, but that cap space already took up the ability to keep those other players on the roster. Yeah, and, in, in and. organization. So, I mean, I, I think I want to go back to a tweet I sent you guys in our, in our chat, but I think the whole thing about, you know, 
the waving of Hutchison, how this game unfolded. I, I, I've never seen Bob McKenzie say something like this before. Well, that's obviously easier to wave Hutchison and roll dice with Casquisio. Sorry. It's a, it's a brutal name to pronounce. Then it is to wave the five skaters on the ice for Patrick Kane's 3-1 goal last night, where he and the Hawks walked in from a center ice face-off and never got touched by a Leaf defender. Yeah. That speaks to what Babcock's doing, and it's almost like a veiled shot at, like, what's going on. Oh, it is a shot. There's no question. And, but, and that's very uncharacteristic for Bob. And uh, I want to get Jan involved in this, but I, I want to go to you first on this, Peter, because you had have experience observing Hutchinson. I mean, I, you know, Hutchinson's played five games. This is this is this is Russ. This is vaguely similar to the uh, to the treatment of Jonas Enroth. Yeah. And you know, when you play backup goaltenders in the second of back to back with a tired team. And I, honestly, uh, even yesterday at times, Hutchinson, I thought in the second period and third period, kept the Leafs within striking distance where they got to within one goal. But in the first period, this team is comatose. They, they, they have, especially in back-to-backs, defensively, they're inept. And they hang out the goaltender to dry. And I think it was Dave Feschuk on, on Leap, the Leaf Lunch Show I was listening to before we started said that the quality scoring chances that the backup, in this instance Hutchinson, has faced have been double quality chances than Frederick Anderson faces in his starts. So that tells you that they're hanging out Hutchinson to dry. Now, has he played well? No, his goals against is over four, his save percentage is below 900. But it's not all on him. It's the fact that the team cannot play defensively and should play better defensively when they know a, a worse goaltender or the backup goalie is in. So that, that's my problem. But I, I don't think Hutchinson in and of itself is the problem, Peter. Well, there, there's a whole host of problems. If you can't play well defensively, you need a team that has a goalie and can stop pucks. That's that's the problem. Right. So the Jets are – I mean, I think it would be an absolutely fascinating experience experiment to switch Paul Maurice with Mike Babcock right now and see what they can do. Given that Maurice would do a better job. Same kind of issues, right? Maurice would do a better job, though, because at the end of the day right now, I think with this goaltending situation, again, that Babcock has caused, basically he's going to just play Anderson as many games in a row as he can. Until he drops. Yeah. 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 I mean, is that Babcock's fault or is that Dubas's fault? No, no, this is Babcock. Hutchinson's good enough. It's, bo- it's, bo- it's both of them, Ross, because this was, this, was cre- this was created by Dubas deciding to keep Garrett Sparks and waving McElhaney. Sure, but then we got to move past that. And and, and and Sparks Sparks blew, and and then they and they had to trade him because he because he was a terrible goaltender. And they were and they tried to bring in Michael Neuverth, and and that didn't work. And now they were stuck with Hutchinson, and they haven't played well in front of him. So now apparently David Pagnotta reported they they reached out a couple weeks ago because they were seeing what, what what road they were going down. They reached out to Scott Darling, and Scott Darling instead. Of sign, instead of uh, reflecting the interest of the Leafs, signed in Austria. So, <laughs> you know that tells Jan. You know you you watch a team that actually has a backup goaltender who's good. Um, do you? Is there a difference between the way the Rangers play in front of Georgiev and the way they play in front of Lundqvist? Uh, I mean, there's no question. It's kind of the inverse, right? So, and Russ can right. probably weigh in very well on this. So, a couple of things. There's been a lot of articles written on it. So. First of all, Georgiev is a much better puck mover than Lundqvist is. And he's then, and it helps the defense because he's able to move the puck so freely 
It gives them additional time and space to try to get the puck out of their own zone. B, he's actually been fairly decent in terms of rebounds. May not be as quick side to side as Lundqvist is, but he's done a little bit better job of rebound control. Mm. And it's just because of those two facts in addition, the team as a whole, and you can look at Cam Talbot, um, you can look at Antti Ranta, you can look at all the numbers of the backup goalies. The defense seems to do a much better job in front of Georgiev than it does in Lundqvist because they know with Lundqvist, the likelihood of him making a spectacular save is pretty high, whereas opposed to the other guys, they're probably a little, more, a little bit more focused on defense and clearing guys in front of the net and playing better in front of him than they do when Lundqvist is between the pipes. So it's almost like the inverse of what happens with Anderson in Toronto. But, I mean, look, you look at the – so compare and address. Garrett Sparks, Michael Hutchinson, look look at the backups that have existed in Toronto and what they've gone on to potentially do or have done, and then look at Talbot, what he became in Edmonton, Ronta, what he became in Arizona, and Georgiev, if he gets moved. You're, you're, you're talking about a vast discrepancy in terms of talent level between them. And that and that's why McElhaney with a goals against of like two point one and the save percentage of like nine thirty, and he was under contract for less than a million dollars. They waived him to keep Garrett Sparks. That decision has had ripple effects over the last year and a year and a quarter uh, with with the Leafs. And 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 really now, you know, Peter, you were talking about you know, Marner being put on LTIR. What if he was out for the year? They could spend that eleven million dollars. Yeah. He's not. He's going to be out for six weeks, which means you got to keep that space open. So you can't go out and get yourself a backup goaltender who's making a million and a half because then you have to create the space for the million and a half once Marner comes back. That's the trickle down of the cap thing of loading up on a too many high end play, like high salary players, whether they're good or not. Jets have the same issue, right? They can't trade for anyone because they don't know what's going on with Buffalo. Well, let's okay. I, I want to sort of go around go around the league, but let's touch on that first. I mean, there hasn't really been any news. Um, I, I know that Shevel Dayoff has been very careful about what he has said, yeah, because of the you know there's there may be some sort of PA NHL um, uh, issue here with the the, the season ending uh, medical evaluation of Bufflin where he was cleared, which I find it tough to believe because we know that he came back late in the regular season and was playing hurt against against St. Louis in the first round. They cleared him, and then he comes, and then he's going to retire, and then he has surgery because I mean, what did he he sprain his uh, high sprain his ankle fishing? I mean, I I, yeah. I I don't know where where that injury comes from if it doesn't come from playing hockey. So here's where, I mean, this thing, now that it's sort of opened up and we have a fairly good understanding of what the parameters around this underlying issue are, Bufflin has surgery, you know, the Jets know what the problem is and why things have gone weird. It's that they weren't, it, it's just that they were never involved in any of the decision-making. So that's probably why things are so bizarre, right? Somehow something divided between Bufflin's trust in the team and the Jets' trust in Bufflin. There's a trust issue here. Who's right? Who's wrong? Right. What I don't understand in this from the Jets' point of view is Bufflin is essentially the face of the franchise. He's beloved by all. Even when he does his typical crazy buff stuff that drives fans nuts in the moment, he's still beloved. Like the guy, he, he's a cult hero here. You're now taking... The lone face has been stable with this franchise since he came here. They're kind of their lone star, right? The the real superstar arrived when Atlanta came to Winnipeg. And you're now kind of nickel and diming around his salary or whatever it is. 
I don't know. Peter, see, I don't know. I, I don't I, understand this. It's it's so strange, and you know, people have been you know, people. There's been social media venom at his family. It's just bizarre. And the Jets have done nothing since this happened to scoot this over because they are not in agreement. And what what purpose does it serve you to go down this road? I don't see the end game for them here. Okay, $7.6 million? I, well, I think <laughs> I, I think lawyers have probably told the, the Winnipeg Jets to kind of cool it because there's a medical procedure that's been done here, and we don't know who, who, who approved and who didn't, right? Mm-hmm. Getting past that, Bufflin could have cured all of this if he'd have told everybody in July, I'm not coming back. But he didn't do that. That's not the Winnipeg Jets' fault. It's really not. That's his fault because he waited. It's his prerogative, but he waited really right up until camp and then just was like, "Eh, you know, I'm not sure. And that's not the Winnipeg Jets' fault. It's not. No, it isn't. But how you address it, Buffalo showed up before camp started. He was skating with everyone. And then he came in and said, something's not right. Then everything went silent and strange. And it's odd. It's very odd, and and, and somehow well, there has to do with the medical procedure. That's the, medical procedure. Part of the issue. So we don't believe you had a broke. You know, it, it just seems. But what benefit is there to the Jets to dispute this to the level that they've taken it? That's what I don't understand. Go the Leafs and Jared Cowan, same thing. Yeah, and Jared Cowan clearly. But- had certain who compared to Dustin Buffalo? No, I, I get that. No, I but it's that. the same situation is what right. I'm saying. Cowan, Cowan had the surgery without the Leafs say so because the Leafs cleared him medically. Mm-hmm. And he went ahead and had surgery. And then when it came down to the decision, uh, the league found in favor of the Leafs. Now, maybe they had something to do with Lou Lamorello, but okay. But still, they they, they ended up not being able to buy him out of his last, last year of his contract. Um, all right, let, let's 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 move on to. Uh, I want to sort of touch on a few things here, and to put it up. To, I'll go to you first, Jan. Uh, looking at the Metro, uh, the Capitals thirteen two and three, leading the division. The Islanders uh, continue to be hot, eleven of the last 12, 13, or twelve three and one. Philadelphia Flyers at ten five and two, twenty two points. Um, I, I I've seen the Flyers twice in the last week. Not really. You know, I mean, there, there's talent there. I'm not really that like overly overwhelmed and impressed by them, but you know, they're they're doing well. I mean, what's your what's your read on the Metro right now, uh, Jan? So let's talk with Philly first. As somebody who owns Hart in his league, it's about time he started playing well. The last three games has been good, but I think part of their turnaround clearly has to also align with James Van Riemsdyk finally getting hot as well. He'd been in a pretty nasty slump earlier in the year, and he he's gotten hot. They've gotten some surprising production. From a couple of guys, you're still not seeing a ton from Gossespierre. If he starts to play better, it would help them as well. Pro- Provorov has played pretty well. Giroux finally got hot. So a culmination of a lot of guys getting hot all at the same time is, has resulted in them moving a little bit up the standings. I mean, as somebody who lives 10 minutes from the Coliseum, I think I know friends of mine who are Islander fans are, are all but shocked in terms of how well they played. I mean, they got that big five-game scoring streak from Derek Broussard, which I think really has to be viewed as a major shocker. Yeah. Um, nobody expected that, but it's also contrasted now with Brock Nelson having not scored in the last eight games or so. He's had a couple of assists. Barzal's stepped up, but you, you look at what they've done. Their defense doesn't scream phenomenal, right? But but you look at how they've played in front of 
uh, both Grice and both Varlamov, with both of those goalies playing great. And, and Trotz has done a nice job of juggling those two guys. It's almost like if you look at Edmonton, <laughs> Smith and Koskinen, right? Both guys have alternated. Both guys have played well. The same thing, Grice and Varlamov happened same last year with, with Lehner and Grice, that both of them have played particularly well. Uh, Holpe hasn't played great, but Samsonov's been good when he's played. You look at what you've gotten out of TJ Oshie there. You look at what you got out of Michael Kepney since he's come back. Um, you look, obviously, Ovechkin just continues to be a man among boys at times, just scoring at will. Um, putting, we've talked, I know you guys have talked a couple of times, we have also that the Gretzky record, what we thought was unattainable and unassailable, starts to come into a little bit of question if Ovechkin can kind of stay healthy and hot, which he has most of his career. And If he stays. If he stays in the NHL, yeah, okay, fine. We will. I mean, yeah, we can tackle that as well. Whether or not he'll stay or he won't stay, um, but you look at just what what the Capitals do and just just continue to roll. But it's so early in the season; we're not really even a quarter into the season. There's so much time still to go, but sort of patterns are arising. I mean, you look, Carolina, Morazic um, has played better, I think, than most of us have kind of expected. Um, well, again. A little bit better than we've expected, but you look, you look at Ajo hasn't played well at all, and they've still played decently. I mean, uh, Taravainen's been relatively okay. Sveshnikov has taken a major step forward, yes. in my opinion. And, and you look at teams that have that have benefited from moving up in drafts. Carolina going from 11 to 2 that year. And we're going to look back on it and go, wow, that was a huge move from them. And how much of a jump that's done to their, to their, their step forward in terms of a franchise and an organization. Well, uh, switching to you, Russ, about the Metro. I mean, I can make excuses for Pittsburgh, and they're in the first wild card right now, 21 points. Losing Malkin, losing Rust. Now Malkin is back. Uh, Rust is back. And they, they stayed relatively close, so that bodes well for them later in the year if they stay injury relatively injury-free. That they well, can One thing, Crosby's out the next two games. So. Right, but 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 yeah. it's, not a, it's not a serious well, thing. They say next two games. I mean, okay. we, we all know how the – we also didn't think that Mika Zabinajad was going to miss the last six and now out the next three. Thanks, thanks for stepping on my narrative there, Jan. But, <laughs> but, uh, but Russ, Carolina, uh, you have to depend on James Reimer for good goaltending. You're in deep friggin' trouble. Because yeah, I think, I think their fans are finding that out. I think he's 0-4. Yeah. And, yeah, that's going to be a problem. Morozik has played okay, and he's had some great games. There's no question. But I don't like the way that team's playing, and clearly Brendan Moore has now finally equaled the level of pissed-offness that Jordan Stahl was at just days ago. It took Brendan Moore a little while to get there. They've got some inconsistent play going on, so we'll see. They're a team that has to play their system to a T because they just they don't have the greatest goaltending. And so if that wavers a little, they have trouble. The Islanders, I still don't get – why I mean, I'm kind of mad at Barry Trotz with what he said about Oliver Wallstrom. Hey, you can see all the skill and everything, but we're going to send him down because, you know, he's basically got to learn the game. Well, how about you teach him, Barry? What the hell ever happened to a coach helping a young player? Why are you throwing it on Bridgeport to get him ready for you? And then maybe he'll feel like bringing him back up when he's dying for offense later in the season. And I don't even know if Josh Hosang's even showed up to Bridgeport. Yeah. Yes, I, I, I'm pretty sure he has, Russ. Okay. I, heard, I think he showed up. What Barry is saying is, I don't have time. I don't have time to teach Oliver Wallstrom. I need to. I need to play Ross Johnston, right? Matt Martin. Right. Um, Look down the road. Like I get your systems working, but I think they're a little full of themselves, coach-wise. I do. And look, and Mitch Corn's great, and I will always give Mitch Corn credit. But 
you look at this team and you look at the results of last year when they got swept by Carolina in the second round, and I can't help but think they're going to go the same way. It may not be Carolina that sweeps them. It could be somebody else because it's very hard to keep that going. But I want to say something about, about well, Walsh. Russ, let me ask one thing, right? So you talked about Walshman offense, right? Right. You talked the major thing you and I both talked last year before the playoffs was the Islanders lack scoring talent up front. Right. That's going to be basically their Achilles heel yep. when they get to the playoffs. And they had a surprising <laughs> sweep in the first round. And the flip side happened exactly in the second round, right? But there's still questions as to what Wallstrom is going to be offensively in general based upon what we saw in the minors, based upon what we saw in, in BC last year and the first part of the AHL this year. But let him be, let him work with Cal Clutterbuck or some veteran and bring him along. Like there's more benefit to trying to bring him along because you could see the talent and he's physically built than to let him just try and figure it out at the AHL level and bring him up if you feel like you want to. Like there's a lot, you know, again, this is where Trotz would rather have a veteran who he doesn't have to worry about, even if he's going to score less, because he's going to be like, look, we're scoring 1.5 goals, we're going to give up 1.2. And that's great, but that doesn't work forever. It doesn't. Kaya. I want to talk Yeah, Kaya. Kaya is agreeing. But Washington is the class of the East. Yeah. And they're the best team in the East, and they're going to be the best team in the East. I don't care about the Bruins. I don't care about anybody else. They have – listen, you can make whatever faces you want, Mike. They've got four lines. The Bruins don't. And and they've got better goaltending than the Bruins do. You could rip apart Holby and nitpick on them, but that combination of him and Samsono are terrific. Okay. Well, I mean, one thing, Mike, to me, at least you'll probably, you may get to it, the guy that's been – the guy that's really driven the bus this year is Carlson. The, the yeah. level of play he's been at the first part of the year is just absolutely unconscious how good he's been. Peter, I just want to get your thoughts on the on the Metro before we move on to the Atlantic. But I, I mean, I, I agree with Russ. I, I haven't been impressed with anybody more than Washington this yeah. year. I just think Boston, the way they're playing, even though they're a one a glorified one line team, maybe two line at best. I think Boston's going to make moves before the deadline, and I still think that you know it's going to be tough to get by them when they if they meet in the conference final. But what do you think of, of the Metro right now? Well, I, I Washington. I haven't seen a lot of Washington, but I, I paid attention a little bit, but without watching games, and they have been very impressive. Um, you know, the the Metro's kind of a it, it's sort of a division that has just needed one team to step up and take it, and Washington did that, right? Yeah. They they've they've seized kind of the mess. I also think the potential for the Flyers to come in and do something there is very possible too but it just seems that when one part of the flyers game right something else falls apart right like there's no balance but they've got all the ingredients there to take a stab at it right so, I think whether you can get them consistently firing in all aspects of the game so let me talk about that for a sec because i didn't mention the flyers because of kaya but Pete brings up a great point we don't know what's going on with nolan patrick anymore we have yeah. no idea he skates he's not playing is is he migraine free is it something else now we don't know so nolan patrick's the great unknown philippe myers has done a great job filling in and now he may have won himself a spot that helps him but gosta spear has no confidence zero and i'm not sure he's getting it back this year like that's something that's that's going to be a hard road to see if he gets it back so that's something that has not been great and to be honest they're on a hot streak right now that's all this is you look at a team they have a coach who's going to push them all year but they're on a hot streak and this is their best record on a hot streak. 
when they lose four in a row, they're going to be a team that's just either in the second wild card or outside the bubble. I don't think they're any better than that. They're going to have to prove so, it. What do you do with Gossip Spear then? Gossip Spear is a trade waiting to happen. I'm not. Or do you send him down? No. They won't send him down. Well, again, so does he become a press box denizen for a no, while? No, so if he's got no confidence, how are you playing somebody who has no confidence? You either trade him or, or you bought him on the bottom. eventually trade him, but he's a puck mover. And if, the problem is, who are you putting in there if you're sitting Shane Gossespear? That is the problem. Even yeah, with Myers is not around anymore. Yeah. Even with Myers adding some depth, like they just lost Mark Friedman at the AHL level. He may have been a guy who could have come up. Chris Begra has an injury. You know, Robert Hag isn't playing particularly great. They're not so deep there that they can't play Shane Gostisbehar. They have to play him. All right. Um, going to the going to the Atlantic, we talked a little bit about the Leafs, and the only thing I wanted to mention is is they've won, up until last night they won three of the last four games on the back of Freddie Anderson. It's been November Freddie instead of October Freddie. So. And, and they're going to have a tough time, 14 of the next 18 games on the road, probably most of which without without Mitch Marner. Um, Boston leads the division 11-3-3, and 25 points. Leafs are at 22 points, but they've played two more games than almost everybody in the division. Uh, Montreal at 21 points. Here's where I think that, that things have changed. Florida's at 21. They're been, they've been – Sort of mildly consistent, not you know, decent, not great. Bobrovsky's playing a little better now. Buffalo has lost six of the last seven. Uh, there are 20 points. They're in ninth place. And Tampa Bay swept them in Stockholm, both games of the Global Series. Tampa Bay has played the least amount of games in the NHL, 8-5 and 18 points. They're three points out of a wild card spot. Uh, Peter, I'll start with you. Uh, like Everybody knew eventually Tampa was going to get off the schneid. Yeah. I think they're going to finish top three in the division. I, you know, it, it, Toronto might be a little hard pressed with with Marner out for so for for a while, but I still think they're going to finish in the top three. And I think Boston will either finish first or second. Where I think it's the battle is going to be in this division is Buffalo, Florida, and Montreal fighting for one of the two wild card spots. And I, I'd have to favor Florida right right now. But what do you think of the Atlantic? Well, I mean. The whole Tampa thing, right? You just alluded to, Mike. That's that's the weird thing. Like they're off Schneid, but are they? Like, yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. Was it like they played Buffalo twice? Yeah. yeah. It, it's you know, there's something weird there, and 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 they've got to figure out what's wrong. And is it just this team doesn't want to play half the season because they're waiting to get to the playoffs, but unfortunately they're taking the break right when it starts and supposed to maybe having that December, January kind of doldrums that teams go through. Like, are they just waiting to prove it in the playoffs and that mentality sort of sitting there, but it doesn't get them moving. I mean, that's the concern I think for Tampa, but you know, I, I, I think that the team that's probably most curious to me out of this is probably Florida. And there's, no reason Florida shouldn't be better than they are yet. Here they are not really being much of anything. And, you know, you brought in a new coach. You've got Bobrovsky. Well, Bobrovsky might just be the problem <laughs> right there. But, they, you know, they're the interesting one in this, is that there should have been more movement in this. I, I like, I, I'm happy for Buffalo that some consistency is happening. I think they're still, you know, a year or two away from really – being in the position to take that next leap and they should be, they should, this should be Kruger's year to get things sorted, 
no expectations. Let's see what we can do. But Florida, they made enough moves that they should be way better doing what they're doing, and they're not. And that's really odd. Jan, you, you saw Florida up close with the Rangers playing them yesterday. Um, I mean, I think there's more there now. I mean, Bobrovsky hasn't played great, but I think he'll – I mean, unless their defense is so bad that he gets exposed all year, I think he'll probably play better and they will play better as the season goes along. They have enough offense. What, what did you think of them and what do you think of the Atlantic? So a couple of things. So in terms of Florida, I mean, the big thing for them is Alexander Barkov is back to being Alexander Barkov. He's – Clearly, haven't scored the first part of the year. I think he's got five in a row or five out of six where he scored. The top line with him, Huberdeau, and Dadanoff is, is, is not as good as, obviously, the Boston line, but still a pretty darn good first line. Vincent Trocek is now back. That was a big absence for them as well. I think Ekblad has been okay, not great, but he's starting to play a little mm -hmm. bit better. Yandel has been very good. Um, Bobrovsky, in my opinion, hasn't been good at all. Now, maybe it's the weight of the contract that's been on him, but he hasn't been good at all. But to me... That's a team that Barkov and Huberdo can put the team on their shoulders and kind of carry them supported by Trocek. Um, in terms of, I, I still like Boston a ton. I mean, Krug's not going to play tomorrow. You know, if he's, out, if he's out for a little bit of time, that's a major hit for them on their blue line. They may do without Krejci being active and being productive for a while besides the first line. When he's healthy, you look at what, what they have up there. We know how good Rask is. We know how good Halak is in terms of a one-two combination. That may be the best one-two combination in the league. If not, it's pretty close to it right now. I mean, you, you talked about the Leafs. I mean, clearly, no Marner is going to have a material absence, right? A material impact. Who's going to play that second-line wing for them? Um, are you going to load up? You're loading up. The first line, I wouldn't say it's loaded up, but how, who's going to supply some of that secondary scoring, especially given how good Marner has been and the kind of numbers he had yeah. overall last year? And then to me, not that they're going to make the playoffs, but honestly, it's kind of fun to watch Ottawa a little bit. I mean, you look at mm -hmm. you look at they got they got in a mess in the cough at a, at a, at on a salary dump basically by the Rangers. They're going to be able to probably flip them for at a minimum what they paid and probably a lot more, given right. how well he's played. Anthony Duclair has played played pretty well. You know, Jean Gabriel Pajot's eyes light up every time he faces the Rangers, and he kind of had another big game against him and had a big week this week. And you know, you look at net. Anders Nilsson's been very good in net for them, taking over basically as the number one for Anderson. So. While it's not a great team, it's it's not a it's a fun team to actually watch. They're, they're going to give some teams some problems because there is there is a little bit of talent. Granted, Bobby Ryan is pretty much stealing money at this point in time, sure. um, but Thomas Shabbat's been pretty good also. And you look at the team overall; they're moving in the right direction. There's talent there. When you add Brady Kachuk, also you you can see, despite ownership being a tire fire, you can kind of see what they're doing in terms of what they're building around there. And it's a team that should be fun at least to watch even though it's not a team that's going to go very far, but it's something you can turn on the TV and go, oh, but you know, Ottawa's on. I'm not going to shut it off because it's Ottawa. But I want to mention something. So, like, Florida beat the Rangers 6-5, right? They've got quotes up on, on the Panthers' Twitter handle, and the pictures don't match the quotes, but I think the pictures are accurate. you got Sam Monteblow's face, which is totally just looking out into the ether. We did a lot of great things. I'm just happy we got the win, meaning he's just happy he got off the hook. And then you've got Quenville, who's looking down at his shoes. It was an entertaining game. I thought we had a lot of pucks, got a lot of pucks to the net. We did some good things, some. And that is a very dissatisfied coach because he had just won two to one yeah. recently. And that is the struggle that Quenville is going to have all year, I think. Yeah. And, you know, entertaining games is, is, uh, AKA. Pond hockey. What's that? It was pond hockey. 
Right, but once the again, there was no defense play. It was like it was like watching Shinny but, on the but, ice. But but the, but the problem, the thing is, Jan, when when Babcock or Quenville say those games are entertaining, that that may, means basically I hated that game, mm-hmm. but we won. And that you fans may like it, but I hate it. Bab, Babcock called a a dreary three one win against the L A Kings on Tuesday. He called it beautiful. It was the most boring game in the world. They scored two goals in thirty seconds in the third period to win the game, and he called it beautiful. Now he was being sarcastic, but it was far from being beautiful. And people who were paying two hundred bucks a night didn't think that thing uh, for for a season ticket did not think that that game was beautiful. Um, okay, Central Division, uh, the St Louis Blues. No no Stanley Cup hangover, 12-3-3, and 27 points. Interesting is The interesting thing is uh, Tarasenko gets hurt out for five months. Russ, today they uh, they signed uh, uh, Jamie McGinn and uh, Troy Brower to professional tryout contracts. Wow. So, uh, uh, I got Jamie McGinn for my Roto team. There you go. Pick him up. Yeah. Uh, Colorado, 10-5-2, points in spite of losing both. Now Zadorov on top of Rantanen and Landeskog. They still have no equal there. They really don't. Yeah. Um, Nashville, 9-5 and 3-21 points. Winnipeg and uh, – Winnipeg is tied for uh, the wild card with 21 points. Uh, Peter, I'll start with you because it's the Central. It's the Jets division. Um, Nashville has been better than they thought, but the but the UC Soros as the backup that Russ has talked about, I think that's a an Achilles heel for them. He's not he's just not playing well as their backup, but they're scoring a ton of goals. I'm shocked that St. Louis is basically repeating what they've done um, it, during you know during the playoffs last year, shut down, suffocating uh, defensively, playing sort of playoff type hockey in the regular season, and they're having success. Yeah, well, why wouldn't it work? The game didn't change. It's just whether it's playoffs, regular season. They found, and, and remember, they started that in January last year, and they just haven't let go of it. They've got a team identity, and everyone's buying in, and they're rolling it out in, in the same way. Sub in some guys, sub out some guys, and it keeps going. Um, you know, most coaches like to bottle that and, and whatever Craig Berube's done and, and figure out what to do. I mean, would, wouldn't Paul Maurice or Mike Babcock like that to that buy-in as well? Like, it's working, and you got you know you got to give them credit. I mean, the Central's sort of funny, uh, you know. Like, I think the biggest surprise in the Central right now is what the heck is what the heck are the Dallas Stars? Like, what are they? And that's a team that nobody I think knows. nobody. No one, and it's time for the owner to rip the players again. Yeah. Like they're far from performing expectations. And I'm not even sure those expectations run realistic, really, given the moves they make, how they finished the season last year and everything, what they did. I, it's bizarre. I think, you know, I, I think the Winnipeg Jets are treading water admirably. I don't know if it's sustainable given the injuries they're sustaining right now and what they have on the blue line. I just, it's, it's not pretty. I mean, they have Josh Morrissey, Neil Pionk, and, 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 and a lot of inexperience. And I know there's a lot of narrative around Winnipeg that says Neil Pionk's been more than advertised. How are you liking Neil Pionk there, Pete? Um, <laughs> I will say – I mean, Pionk's actually played pretty oh, well. Man, stop. He has. I'm sorry. You know what? You can say what you want. Look, Russ, I wrote enough about him every single game yeah. last year. He I, has actually played fairly well. 
Give the guy credit. We can rip him all he wants. He has not played badly. You know, and and, and to Jan's point, he he's right. And you look at some other underlying metrics, he's outperformed where he was in New York, to tell you the honest truth. And well, that's not if, hard. If if you're looking at performances and you go back to that trade, there's probably more Rangers fans upset about Truba's game right that's now big. than, than oh, they are about Pion than there are Jets fans about Pionk's. Peter, how's Pionk's play in front of the net? You like the way Oh, I'm sorry. You don't wait, like wait, has Truba played great, Mike? Uh, Russ, I mean? He played well for a, for a stretch, and now he's playing poorly for a stretch. That happens to all defensemen. I just asked Peter a point-blank question, yeah. and he said no. No, I don't like in front of that, but I like he's some of the other things he's done. Um, he wants to be on the ice for a lot of goals. Well, yeah. one, 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 one good thing, Peter, they they sent Hainola back to – well, they started yeah. to send him to the AHL and they sent him back to Finland so they didn't burn the year, the first year of entry level. He wasn't ready. He he filled in a, a gap for yeah. a while, but they, they realized it wasn't going to do him any good. To, I, I think it's the right call. Yeah. Um, Paul Maurice made a really interesting um, comment on that when it happened. He said there's no 18-year-old defenseman playing in the NHL right now. And we don't want to damage Billy Hainola. And it's the, it's the right call. We saw him at the draft. Yeah. He is a young, skinny kid. Yes, he is. Yep. And Maurice even said, you know, there's a lot of guys in the AHL who want to play a heavy game, particularly against rookies. We don't we don't have a problem with him going back to Finland. Yep. Let him fill out some more. Let him play that style of game. Work on his skill side without having to worry about, you know, cr blowing a shoulder out on it. On it very, on very smart. It's a, it's the right thing. It sucks because he was really impressive. Yeah. But as the games get heavier and tighter, you can't take that risk on a player. That's not fair to him either. No. But I want to I want to say this. So Peter, you know, Winnipeg, yeah, they there have there's a lot of adjustments that have to still go on there because of what happened early in the season. Like that's a big blow for any team. Yeah. And I think look, I think Hellebuck will be up to the task, but I don't know where they stand now. I'll be honest. Nashville, it's same old Nashville, guys. Now that Saros is pretty much what I thought he is, it's Pecorine or bust. Like that team is going to ride Pecorine or not. Yeah. Colorado has a real chance, and even with the injuries, to to take this division. They do. That's, and I that, that that's my view, Russ. You kind of my view is you better get Colorado now because when they get healthy, yeah, given how well McCarr has played. Yeah. And when they get Ryan back at Landis Cobb, and now, now you look at Kadri, who settled in a little bit, yeah. they're, they're the team, in my opinion, to beat in that division. And they have ton, and they have tons of cap space, and they can add at the deadline. They have a lot of assets. So just to touch on one thing here, Russ, before we move to the Pacific. Mm -hmm. uh, in watching that Chicago game yesterday, um, Colleton is putting all his eggs in one basket. He puts Debrinket with Strom and Kane. Yeah. You know that that line gets eight points against a, a defensively inept Leaf team, but not much out of Sod and Taves on that second line, and their defense they they overplayed Duncan Keith. Seabrook looked out to lunch at times. Uh, Gustafson is not a good defensive defenseman. I mean, there's a, so many holes there, and Leonard had to make I think fifty three saves. Yeah, fifty three. Yeah, yeah. It's a bad team. It's, they are a bad team that is desperately trying to get through the muck of these old players and salaries. Like I saw, they just, you know, signed Alec regular to, to an ELC. Right. They're going to try and press that button as many times as they can this year from the PR standpoint to keep fans happy 
and have them not focus on the Hawks so much and maybe focus on the future with guys like Boquist and such because they've got too many guys there that just can't do it night in, night out. They're not a playoff team, and I think they could still end up near the bottom. Yeah, right. but at least they're introducing Dak into the lineup in Boquist. And I, don't, I don't think that's a positive, Jan. All right. Well, again, I, whether or not they're ready or they're not, they that will. You know, good. we just talked about learning at this level with Oliver Wallstrom. Why is it any different with playing, and playing on a team that you know is potentially not going anywhere and letting them get into the league? Doc is younger, and Doc has played um, more flawed hockey, I think, because of his size than Wallstrom ever did. Now, Wallstrom never did play defense. I get it. But Wallstrom could handle everything else. It's not even like you could tell me Kirby Doc is at even like the height of his physical strength when he's 6'4", 193. He looked pretty decent yesterday, Russ, but that was a game that was wide open, throttle, wide, wide right. open. Look, and his first goal was an absolute gimme, right? There was nobody on him in front of the net. No. But he's got four points in 11 games. So if I'm going to cost him out, I'm going to say, what is he going to get? 30 points, 35 points. Is this going to be worth it? I, I, I think, I think what's going to end up happening with him is he's going to end up going to World Junior and then going back to Junior after. He won't play more than 40 games. They won't burn. They'll, they've already burned the year of entry level, but they won't burn a year toward unrestricted free. Not a center too, Jan. That's the other thing. Okay, so two things, Peter, on your comment about Dallas. Tyler Sagan, one goal since October 8th. Yeah, Jamie Ben, no goals since October 10th. Yeah. That's kind of your answer. And, and when we yeah. thought about Minnesota coming into the year where they spent money foolishly, sure as heck looks really accurate right now because that's a team that's really not good. All right, I want to start. With, I want to start. With, good point. I want to start with Peter with the Pacific here because um, Edmonton 12, five and two, 26 points. Calgary 10, seven and three, 23 points. Vancouver 9, six and three, 21 points. Vegas at 21, Arizona 20, Anaheim at 19. So it's pretty close. Um, I'm still not a believer in the Edmonton Oilers. Connor McDavid can have as many hat tricks and great games as, as he, you know, as you know, he's the best player in the league. There's no doubt, but again, it's up to him. It's up to dry And if they're not on, they don't win. That's the problem. That is the problem with that team. They're not deep enough. They're not. Neil says hi, Mike. Who's that? Neil says hi. Yeah. Um, now Vancouver, uh, Peter, they had, uh, they they were I think nine two and three or nine three and yeah. two, and now they've lost four games in a row. I mean, I I like the moves that they made. I, I love the talent of Pedersen and Besser. I, this is, with me, it's just a question of whether they can keep the puck out of the net enough to stay in the play. Yeah. Look, Thatcher Demko's come in and played really well. Um, you know, he, he – look, I think Vancouver's overachieving right now, and reality is maybe coming back a little bit to uh, settle in and, and, and such in recent games. But, you know, they have some, they have some talent. And, you, you know, no GM has taken the heat – that Jim Benning has this this offseason. Like, it's been merciless on him from that fan base and everything. And, you know, the Canucks coming out and playing well, you know, to start the season was a bit of a surprise. Now, in fairness, after the same amount of games last year, they had the same nine wins as they did this year. So I think it's a matter of they're going to they're gonna fall back. It's just a matter of when, but the regression's going to come. They're just not that complete a team. Uh, Russ, you have some breaking news? Yeah, so it uh, looks like the Arizona Coyotes have signed John Chica 
to a long-term agreement. So I think this is worthy of discussion. We're in the right division. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because here's the quote. I'm fully confident that John is the right person to leave us move, lead us moving forward and help us bring the Stanley Cup to Arizona majority owner, chairman, and governor Alex Marullo. Now, I think John Chica does a lot of things right, and I think John Chica does a lot of things wrong. And I think when you look at the record each year, this is always a team hovering around 500 or less, NHL 500, and they generally don't make the playoffs. Right now, if the season ended today, they'd be out of the playoffs again, even though we've agreed that they have looked good at times, and then we've agreed they've looked bad at times. I don't know if I would give them a long-term deal simply because I don't think the draft has been strong enough for them for the last four or five years to produce enough talent on the ice. And they've traded some of that too. So tell me why this team shouldn't have like four lines of really good players with the amount of players they've drafted right. and in the, in the positions they've drafted in the last few years. Does anybody have any answer to that? No, they bailed, they bailed on Strom too early and now Strom is producing decently in Chicago. Uh, if, if the goal was Strom being a number one center, they, they, they miss, uh, misdiagnosed him because he's not he's in a, at best a number two uh i saw hayton play against buffalo i'm i think he's a good young player i think he has a chance to be a good young player i don't know whether he should be in the up, up in the nhl right now right uh, he's playing third line third line with uh loss and kraus do, do you really think that that's a, a good uh avenue for development i mean i i like some of their talent i like some of the the player that they could stay healthy um, they, they overachieved last year, but I don't know whether that's enough to give him, you know, give him another three or four years on a contract. So yeah, I'm, I'm a little, I'm questioning on that one. Uh, but Russ, so just, okay. Cause again, I don't, I know everybody thinks I'm, I hate Edmonton. I, I don't hate them. I'm just saying, I think they're flawed. I don't, I don't think they're anywhere close to being as good as they're playing so far. I think there's going to be a correction coming. Uh, and uh, it's easier said than done you, that you can stop McDavid because he's uh, he's a great player, but they're just limited. There's nothing there other than him and uh, Dreisaitl and Nugent Hopkins. And I, I don't think it's if you play them 23, 24 minutes a night by by the beginning of January, they're going to be in a in a pine box. I mean, it's it's like we talked about earlier. If you get out to an overwhelming lead in this league. It's like having a small leak in a grain silo. You don't really notice it for a while, but then you just start losing. You start hemorrhaging points here. You start hemorrhaging points there. But you could look pretty good for a while, and they're going to look good through Thanksgiving. But if they keep playing around the way they're playing now, it's not going to end well for them. And even with the start they had, they don't have the personnel. They don't – I mean, even James Neal, 12 goals, 2 assists. He's a minus 7. Like in He's what so young. Sorry? He's saw Young. Yeah. I mean, it's just – it's crazy to think that – and I don't want to take away what's been a real good comeback for him, but, again, I go back to Stefan Richet and Mario Lemieux. There was a time when Stefan Richet really couldn't play anymore but still had a shot, and Mario Lemieux made sure he still could get 30 goals. So, I don't know. I, I mean yeah, – I mean, Yeah, you can use that argument, but uh... – they tried Milan Lucic a couple of times with Connor McDavid and didn't okay, play he, well. So. Milan Lucic had been so past it even before they got him in a deal. He was never the player James Neal was really ever. If you want to, how, go many, how many fifty goal scorers ended up being fifty goal scorers because they played with him? You, yeah, yeah, yeah and, and he he made Warren Young and uh, and Rob Brown into thirty. Rob Brown made a fifty goal score of him. So, but 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 the problem is that after Neal had that 
initial rush of nine goals. Right, he slowed. He slowed down to you, because they took him off. They took him off the line. But you have to expect he wasn't going to stay that hot. Also, I right. mean, I mean, well, I mean, they also well, dealt with Clef Bomb being hurt a little bit as well, which didn't help the blue line. Nurses struggled a bit lately, which hasn't helped them. Here, no assists. It doesn't help your team. Uh, Look, I mean. I'll a couple of things. So first of all, I think I agree with you. I mean, I think all of us panned the Strom trade last year when it happened. But I think Connor Garland's played fairly well. Kraus has been fairly decent for them. Mm -hmm. The Kessel trade, while it hasn't worked out well yet, in my opinion, probably will work out better for them in terms of the type of score because they needed that type of score. You look at them getting Darcy Kemper in a deal back. It's paid off for them. Ronta and Kemper is a pretty darn good one-two combination between the pipes as well, which makes them difficult to play against every single game. So, I mean, I think there's upside there. I mean, I know your point, Peter, on Vancouver. I think we all thought Vancouver would be better this year. Demko and, and, and Demko and Markstrom has been a pretty good combination and condolences to Markstrom on the loss of his father. You know, the fact that he played the last night and, and winning after his father passed away from cancer is pretty pretty amazing in the type of performance that he had to have. But you look, JT Miller, you know, Russ, you and I have talked a lot about it. You know, mm -hmm. Miller's, been, Miller's been phenomenal. He was phenomenal when we went to Tampa right after we left the Rangers. Same type of thing. When you look at the talent up front with Besser, with Pedersen, that's a team that's got a lot of guys up front that are really, really good. That's a team that should be able to contend. And I think, you know, you match patch already finally found, refound that found the youth again. So even though they sent Cody Glass down, then Vegas is going to be a tough out this year, especially if Flurry keeps playing like he has. You know, that, that division is a pretty darn good division. I won't say from top to bottom, but the first – Four or five teams are going to battle pretty heavily this, during the season to try to win the division. Well, there's two things I want to add about Vancouver. Like we always said, they were probably going to have the best power play in the league. Quinn Hughes is 12 points. Like we knew how good we, we – I talked about Pedersen being a top 10 player in the league. I think he's a top six player in the league. And and all those things are coming true. Defensively, they're still not great, although I will say Alex Edler is now a blocking machine, and, and that's helping them. They'll be around. I don't know if they're going to be a serious contender. Vegas will be a serious contender for as long as Marc-Andre Fleury stays healthy. No question about it. He gets any kind of injury if he's ever out for two, three weeks. Right. They're in trouble. Deep trouble. Deep yeah. trouble. Right. Zuban played well a couple of years ago, and he hasn't been particularly good the last two years. Right. And you know what? The funny thing is that nobody's talking about the Sharks who have now won three games in a row. They dug themselves such a big hole that they're at 15 points right now. They're still six points. They've won three games in a row, and they're still six points out of a wild card spot. Yeah, but it's it's you, you got 60-plus games to go. You have sure, plenty of time sure. to dig. Look, we, we, we both know, and everybody knows, as Martin Jones goes, so goes the Shark. If Jones actually plays even halfway well, they win. When he's horrific – they have no shot to win. Honestly, you're not getting a ton out of Thornton right now. The big thing for them is, look, Tino Meyer got off to a really lousy start. He's woken up. Thomas Hurdle was invisible the first two weeks of the season. He's kind of woken up. You know what Brett Burns is going to do. In my opinion, I don't think Carlson's played particularly great. He's got, I think, what, 11 or 12 assists, but he hasn't looked particularly good either. If he ever starts to remotely resemble the Carson they thought they were going to get, you look at those two guys on the ice all the time, and they're going to be awfully tough to play against. I want to mention something, too. I saw Carey Price in person recently against the Flyers, played an amazing game. Like, just that weird goal in, in, in the uh, overtime that Couturier got in was just sort of fluky because it's, it just, like, trickled through his arm. He is right now the best goalie in hockey, though, because if you watch the way the Canadians play or don't play defense – Carey Price is technically perfect at this point in his career. He really is. 
And unfortunately, he got really mad that game because he wanted the two points because he knows he, he's gotten to the point where Tom Seaver used to get there and a lot of great pitchers, they have to pitch a shutout every game or they have to or or they may not win. And Carey Price is at that point and actually got annoyed with the media and then apologized after because he is such a good guy. He's got a 939 save percentage with that defense. And Trey Weber's playing great, by the way. He is. And Peter, just to finish out, because we're we're running late here, but I want to get this point in. Uh, and seeing the LA Kings this week, I have never seen a team more in need of a rebuild in my life. Uh, and it sounds like anybody not named Kopitar or Dowdy or anybody who's not a, a young player under the age of 22 is available. But the question is, who in their right mind is oh, going to no. take Dustin Brown, Jeff Carter, maybe Toffoli because he's an expiring contract, but they got so many contracts that I don't know how the hell they move them. That yeah, it's it's bizarre. Um, you know, you move them by retaining some. Like, I mean, so Brown's got two more years after this one. Well, someone's going to have to take that on if someone's even dumb enough to take them. Carter, same thing. You know, it's – what do you do? Like, yeah. I mean, you just – and the one, the one I think, the one I think is that it might be the most difficult. Although the way he played in his last game might give people some pause. Is quick, quick actually had a really good game, a really good performance. I think it was against Montreal. He looked very energetic and very acrobatic, like the quick of old. But it's a question of whether you know the guy's making almost six million dollars. He's got years left in his contract. He's thirty-two, I believe. Thirty-three. Thirty-three. Three years left after this one. Yeah. yeah. Well, look, you talked about that. before, right? You, you talk about talk about Carter, and you talked about Brown. Um, do me a favor, take a look at what Jonathan Taves is making the next several seasons, and you tell me what Chicago is doing with him making ten point. As much as I love Taves, ten point five mil a year. Brent, That's a contract that can't be moved. Brent, Carter and Brown. It's only two more years after once. Those are ones you potentially can move if you eat a little bit of salary. And Taves' contract isn't even the worst on his own team. Seabrook is worse. Right. Yeah. You know, at least okay, I'll give you that, right? So, at least Taves can play so, still. So but, you know the adage that they talked about, the Yankees talked about, and Russ knows this one. You don't pay for past production. You pay for future production. And most times than not, it's very hard as a GM in, in any league when you have fan bases to consider and guys that have been historical players to not pay for what you saw in the past as opposed to what you're going to see in the future. And you can argue at the time, Taves, and Taves probably took a discount compared to what he maybe could have made. You know that Crosby took a discount yeah. compared to what he could have made because he wanted guys to remain around him. Yeah, you know, like, yeah you're absolutely right. At some point, there are going to be some GMs who wake up and cut bait knowing the best years are behind them. We're not there yet. But, man, I think we're really close. And, and L.A. and Chicago are the best reasons. Now, you know – there, I remember seeing an article written. I can't remember when it was, but I think it was the end of last season. And it was, you know, fans really upset. And the, the writer said, would you trade those three Stanley Cups back? Would you hand them back now and give them up? All those things that we won, all the incredible runs that this team went on, would you give them up because you don't like what's happening now? That's the cost of success. Same for LA. I one more breaking news. That's Sorry. It. Go ahead. I apologize. Um, so Jesse Pujarvi now says he's focused on finishing yep. the season yep. in Finland. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Game over. Edmonton can no longer trade him now. 
Well, well he still can come back. I mean, here's here's the thing. And Russ, I'll refer to you as, as the draft expert, right? Everybody's talking about the Rangers going out to Pudu Jarvi, right? Everybody's talking. Here's my question. A, boy, should Ed, Edmonton, everybody thought Pudu Jarvi was great. Can you imagine if they had taken Matthew Kachuk in that draft instead of him? And B, how good is he? We saw very little in Edmonton to show how good he is. If you're a team, how much are you giving up to get him? Uh, you're giving right. up like That's the everybody has this thing that oh my god he's great and he may very well be, but are you paying you gonna you're gonna pay pennies on the dollar. That's, you the don't know that's, that's the problem right now is the fact is the fact that teams are not offering a ton. Ken Holland says I'm not gonna trade him for that little, and Pugliarvi's like if you don't trade me, I'm not coming. So he's no, but he's already saying he's focused on finishing the season. So that basically that, tells. That that changes if he gets traded. I I don't think it does, and I think now even if he scores, but even if he scores two points a game in Finland, it, is it trade? Is it changing no, your no, view on no, what he is? But with all those other risks, I'm now saying, and Peter probably would agree with this: if you're a GM, based on what Kriarvi just said, why in the world are you trading for him when you don't know if he's ever going to come back from Finland? Well, I think you can have well, a conversation with him before I, I think you figure that one out pretty quick, Russ. You just got to talk to the agent and say, you, you right. have, we trade for you, you're coming back. You got to have that permission for You're probably not getting them this year, so you're getting them for the future. So well, not necessarily. Uh, I, I don't think – You know what? There's going, to be a, there's going to be a team that's smart enough to say, I can get them on pennies on the dollar, and it doesn't matter if I get them this year or next year. Yeah. And get them back. And, and get him for that and let let Holland get what he wants and say, you know what? It doesn't matter if he comes back and flips the switch for us this year. We need him to flip. We need it flipped next season because this one's cooked. This this it's is like when the, it's like when um, the Buffalo trade for Evander Kane after he was injured. Right. It didn't matter right. to him. Right. This is far this is far enough out from the December first deadline yeah. that it, him coming out and saying this, that this if 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 Ken Holland thought that he was gonna fold and come back to Edmonton, I think he realizes especially after Holland went over to watch him play in the Kerjala Cup, um, that you know that I'm sorry, I'm not playing for your team. I don't care if your team is doing great. I'm never playing for that crap organization again. That's basically what he's saying. And He's sticking to his word. If he has to stay in Finland for a year and force them, force them to trade him next summer, fine. But I, I think there's still a chance he gets moved before December the first, and he gets moved to a team that he would sign with. But we'll see. All right, uh, running long, a little long here, so we'll end the show there, and we'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Hockey Buzzcast. Thank you, Jan Levine. Thank you, Peter Tessier. Thank you, Russ Cohen. I'm Michael Agello. Thank you for watching, and remember, without the buzz. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.